You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on weei.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and the Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years... The Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at stuff! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 111 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. We are officially underway in the preseason. Saturday night, the Bruins played uh, the Flyers down in Philly. They lost 2-1, to one, but there were some good things to be taken from that game. Some guys stepped up. Some guys probably wish they had a better showing, but I'll throw it to you guys and, um, you know, something that stuck out to you in the, in the first preseason game. Well, I think the biggest takeaway is that, uh, Brian, you can you can calm down. I know you had a rough weekend uh, stressing over Jim Montgomery's practice lines uh, <laughs> based on our last episode. And I want you to know that at Monday's practice, he had his regular real lines. It was Zacco, Bergeron, DeBrusque, uh, Hall, Krejci, Pasternak. looked like Frederick, Coyle, Smith is kind of the first – go around for a third line and then uh, like basically four fourth lines. Um, you know, we can get into that a little bit more. I know we're going to start with the game, but uh, just wanted to let Brian know, just kind of oh. set the mood that, uh, you know, you can stop, you can stop throwing things around like that. Uh, Bill's assistant coach uh, Sunday. <laughs> I never said such a thing. A B here's my question to you. Why are you so certain that he didn't listen to the skate pod and then made those adjustments? Actually, he did. I, I specifically asked him about that after practice one day. I said, Jim, I, I thanked him. I said, thank you. My co-host, Brian, was he was really losing it. <laughs> and and he said, I know. I heard that. That's that's why I did it. I really oh, just yeah. want to save him. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I was scratching for content. It was day one of training <laughs> camp. Obviously, obviously, I knew that wasn't the case. I was just trying to you know make something out of nothing. But um. Fun is over, I guess, and everything's back to business the way Brian wanted it to be from Jump Street. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I must have missed the part where what he 
those line combinations really helped the Bruins this year. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. But uh, <laughs> it seems like it seems like what Scott said a few minutes ago is what we've been talking about a lot this preseason, which is we just we don't know what the fourth line's looking like, and I don't think the Bruins do either. There's a lot of uh, combinations that each combination respectively could be a fourth line. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's, that's a storyline to follow. And, um, you know, obviously Nick Felino is somebody we're watching a lot. He made comments today we'll get to, but um, Bridget dating back to Saturday against the Flyers, did any of those players of any Lataria, Johnny Beecher, uh, Jacob Lauka, who scored a goal um, and looked pretty decent. Actually, I think, um, may have had an injury today in, in, in training camp. So we'll keep an eye on that. But did somebody step up in your mind in that opening night game uh, down in Philly? So I did pay a lot of attention to, to Beecher's game. I also, I'd noticed, you know, Stanika doing a few things, right. But um, as we mentioned, his role may not be fourth line role. Maybe, I mean, maybe it could be, but um, I mean, the fact they had Beecher centering a line with Felino and DeBrusque, um, you know, if they intend Felino to play on the fourth line, you know, maybe Beecher is someone he's going to need to start making chemistry with. So they, they put Beecher at his natural position, which is center. Um, he does look, you know, to be playing at a good pace and NHL pace. Um, he's been somebody that they've been, that everybody's been focusing on recently. He was on the first power play unit. They had him um, in preseason and he was kind of playing that bumper position uh, where Bergeron was. And, you know, he looked, he looked good. He looked definitely not out of place um, as an NHL player. I was kind of paying more attention to him in his individual game rather than like, you know, I, that that would be some sort of a line that they'd be working with, but easily Cassidy, I just said Cassidy (laughs) Montgomery could throw, um, you know, Felino to a features left and then uh, maybe Nosek on the right or maybe Beecher on the wing. So yeah, he's somebody that is definitely auditioning for that fourth line role. Uh, McLaughlin didn't play in the first preseason game. So he was someone else that, we were kind of hoping to get a look at and, and see how he plays in the preseason to see if he could steal that role in the fourth line. But Beecher easily could make this team um, in that role. Not now, maybe as a center, maybe as a, as a right wing. Yeah. I don't, I wonder like how much experience he's had on his offside. I know he's played a little bit of left wing. So it could be, he goes to the left and like Felino would go to the right or something, but um, it was interesting because Don Sweeney last week, when he was talking basically left it like completely open-ended on Beecher and said, you know, like we don't one, like we don't know, you know, how much of a goal scorer he'll be in the NHL. Like he's still discovering that. And then he also said, you know, we don't know if he's going to be a center or a wing long-term, like obviously he's a natural center, but he has some kind of power forward characteristics that could translate to the wing. Um, but then Jim Montgomery, I think like the next day or two days later was asked about Beecher and basically said like, right now I view him as a center. That's the only place he's played in camp so far. Um, and obviously he sent played center in the preseason game. So it kind of seems like, you know, if he's going to make the team out of camp, it's probably going to be as a center, like his natural position. Whereas, you know, if there's a move to the wing at some point that might come in, providence because there might be more of an adjustment um but yeah i thought, I thought he was solid i thought I, I mean not just because he scored the goal but i thought Jakob lauko uh looked like maybe the best forward on the ice saturday uh he had i think he led the team in shots and 
just seemed to be, be consistently getting himself into position for chances. And then, you know, had whiffed on a, like a really good one. I think that was in, in the early third period where he was like right alone in the slot and just missed the net. And that, that was kind of like the story of the game to that point was yet all these guys just not taking advantage, not bearing chances, like getting to good areas and not being able to finish. Um, you know, Lysel kind of partially whiffed on a one time in the power play. Tomas Nosek got himself into the slot and then totally whiffed on a shot. Um, Stanik had a good chance set up by Zaboral and missed the net. So, you know, that kind of seemed like that was going to be the the theme. And then Lauko scores on, on a really good shot. And, you know, that jumps out to you because it's like, all right, well, if no one else is finishing chances, uh, the guy who does is going to jump out a little. And, you know, it's another area where, like, I'm interested to see – you mentioned Mark McLaughlin. I'm interested to see when he gets into a preseason game, which – I would assume he'll be in Tuesday uh, for the home game against the Rangers. Um, but I think McLaughlin's looked good in, in camp and practices, especially like around the net front, like finishing in close, get a nice finish from the slot at Monday's practice. So, you know, and we, we saw it a little bit last year. Like he, he has some finishing touch that some other guys in, you know, certainly that were on that fourth line last year, didn't have and specifically, you know, Felino and Nosek all season long struggled to finish chances. Um, so that's an area where, you know, if someone can start doing that, like it might give them the edge over some other guys battling for that job, you know, jo- Johnny Beecher scoring three goals out in the prospects challenge. That's, that's a good start. Like, you know, now let's see if it translates into, you know, facing NHL competition, see if you can, you know, maybe bury one or two during these, you know, preseason games and uh, really strengthen his case. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think McLaughlin has the inside track as far as being one of the three guys to make that fourth line out of training camp. I, I just think that he has the physical maturity. I I like his, um, I like his, his hockey IQ. He keeps it simple and he's just a, a, a good character player. I just think you want on that line has finishing ability, like you said, Scott, and let's not, let's not overlook that in a fourth line role. It's not a, always a given. Uh, the Bruins have had a difficult time the last handful of years. You know, well, I shouldn't say that. I think the Achari Corrali combination with whether it was Nordstrom or Wagner, they had their moments, but the last two, three years for sure, it's been a struggle. Um, so I like McLaughlin having an inside track. We didn't get to see him in Philadelphia, like, like uh, Bridget mentioned earlier. So, it's interesting because the first preseason game, the preseason in general is difficult to, to judge because these guys have been off for, you know, for months on end and this obvious rust there. There's not a ton of familiarity because you have a mix and match lineup with that said, like, again, a lot of these guys, they're fighting, whether they were on a team last year or, or not, there's a lot of guys fighting for jobs. And while it's, it's, difficult to be at your best in preseason you're being judged upon that effort right and so when I look at a guy like Thomas Nosek he sucked I know it's a little early to to, to pull out that he sucked uh because I, I I said often throughout the year with Nosek but he uh he wasn't very good right he's a veteran he has a ton of size up the middle he's, he, he's been there before he's done it before and when you have a bunch of young kids nipping at your heels 
you got to bring a little bit more piss and vinegar than he brought in, in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, think about how many centers they have that are trying. Like Stanika has been trying to break through in in a center role. Uh, Beecher, like McLaughlin, all three of those guys play center, and Nosik is not helping make his own case to stay at that fourth line center role. Well, no. and it's interesting with Nosik because I think last year I think he was asked to play like a more defensive role than he was in Vegas. Vegas, when he was there, tended to sort of balance their lines out more in terms of like offensive versus defensive zone shifts whereas the Bruins last year and and this has kind of been a theme for a while or had been a theme under Cassidy you know really got a lot of D zone shifts so I think that was a factor in obviously his offensive production declining but it's not even talking about certainly doesn't explain going 57 games without scoring yeah Um, and, and I'm not even talking about pure year, numbers. It's just like, it, it just looks, it doesn't look good when, when he does get a chance. It's like, okay, I've, he had a few wide open nets that he missed last right. season. Like, uh, there were times it, where I was like, how? Yeah. Like, I, I think there might be an opportunity for him to maybe get, you know, a little bit more offensive opportunity under Montgomery. But if he's going to do what he did with it last year and miss these chances and be unable to finish and, you know, like I said, you know, to Brian's point, yeah, it's preseason games aren't a ton to go on, but the first really good chance he got in a preseason game this year, he literally whiffed on the shot. Like that's, you know, again, when you only get so many chances to make an impression and show that that fourth line center job should still be yours, you have to take advantage because like if someone else steps up and, and does what he hasn't been able to do, in theory, the Bruins keep telling us, you know, we're just going to, we're going to play the best players. The best players are going to be on the roster. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if that's true and if they actually hold on to that. But um, as it is right now, like it's, it's hard for me to sit here and say right now that Thomas no six, one of their 12 or 13 best forwards. Well, Johnny Beecher also like, was it his greatest game in Philly? Probably not, but I mean, I, I liked, I think he struggled a little bit, a little bit, on face-offs on his offside um on a strong side he was pretty good in the face-off circle and, and physically he didn't look out of place at all like he looked like he belonged and I don't know like that was promising signs for Beecher so like is it, my point is with Nosek if it, he might not get the opportunity to, to to flourish in a more offensive role with Montgomery if he doesn't earn it out of camp and again yeah you would think he has the inside track because he's an NHL contract but um another guy who stood out to me was and I don't want to mess up his first name, but what was it? Is it AJ Greer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he he had I, I believe he had a fight and he uh, did. But beyond that, like he showed he showed he showed good explosiveness. I want to say in the uh, third period, uh, Jack Sean kind of poked a puck and he just you know he, puck just rolled over his stick, but he made a good move on the goalie. Good size, good speed. There's guys making impressions and and um, as I said, you, you can't you can't uh, rely on on your your uh your resume if you're someone like Nosek or Nick Felino. And um so it, it's gonna be interesting to see to see it play out. I thought Oscar Steen was another one who looked just looking at the roster from that night. Oscar Steen didn't he didn't he didn't jump off the page. And again, like when you're somebody trying to make a team, the effort alone should jump off the page. I'm not saying the execution's gonna be there, but like you better watch if you're watching that game on Nesson Saturday, beside if your name's not Jake DeBrusque, I don't think there was a forward on that team who had a guaranteed spot. I, it was all guys fighting for stuff. And 
I thought that certain guys showed that fire and I thought others didn't, but it's one of those situations. Everybody should be showing it because you're very much, you're putting on the same Jersey in the preseason game, but you're very much competing against the people on your, on your own bench. And I just, I I saw that lacking. Like I thought Nick Foligno had some fire, but um, I don't know. It was was interesting and it's going to be interesting to watch going forward. Yeah. I thought Chris Wagner had some too. Like again, didn't always result in completely positive plays. He drew a penalty. He also took a penalty, but you at least saw like someone, you know, look, Wagner's been open about this. Like he wasn't thrilled having to spend last season in Providence and he's very much in the same situation. In fact, I think most fans and analysts probably expect him to be sent down again uh, or, or put on waivers and then, you know, sent down if he clears, but uh, he's a guy who, and I think we we've seen this in camp too, uh, who's, you know, trying to show like that he doesn't want to do that again. You know, he wants to be in Boston and make his team. And I don't know if he will. I don't know if there's, you know, enough to the rest of his game at this point, but to your point, like at least the effort seems to be there with him. Bridget, what did you think of, um, what did you think of Fabian Lysel on Saturday? Leave a little bit to be desired in that, in that performance. Yeah. That's actually funny. You asked me that. Cause I was going to be my next point. Cause we're, we're talking about people who didn't necessarily capitalize on their opportunities. Not that Lysel played bad because actually before you jumped on Brian, Scott and I were kind of just like going over a few things. And I was telling Scott, I liked this one play that he had. That was kind of just a small play. Um, he was back checking um, and he was able to just poke the puck away from one of the Flyers players right to Zaboral. And that was the play that set up that Seneca shot. So it was Lysel kind of tipping it over to Zaboral who slid it over for Seneca, who almost could have scored on that play. It was a good opportunity for him, but that all started with this back check from Lysel. And I noticed he does that a lot. He, you know, even if the Bruins lose the puck, he's always back checking right away and trying to get a stick on it um on the puck and he does little just little things like that that I noticed that were good however um he did have a lot of opportunity on the power play where he didn't showcase his skills he had a lot of space there was actually a point in time where the Bruins were on a five on three I believe that he was out on the ice and um you know they were able to slide him over the puck in that kind of like posture knock one-timer position and he kind of whiffed on it I think Scott mentioned uh, alluded to that earlier he was open in that area and wasn't able to get his shots off um, in an effective way when he was on the power play. Uh, he was on that top power play, you know, that they had on in preseason. So um, he was out there. He was left left circle and DeBrusque was right circle. Um, I do think he could have done more with his opportunities that he got on the power play because he's known as somebody who has that skill. Um, he didn't really showcase it as much as people probably wanted to see and probably as much as he would have liked to. Yeah, I think it, it was, and you know, to me, like it's almost more important what he does or doesn't do at five on five, because it, it, if we're talking specifically about like him making this team out of camp, which I still think is a, is a long shot, but um, you know, he's, if you were going to make the team, like he's not going to be on the first power play unit, maybe the second, Um but five on five, he was, he was really quiet. He actually had the second lowest time on ice at five on five on the team and didn't have a single shot attempt at five on five. The only other forward who didn't have a five on five shot attempt Saturday was Tomas Nosek. Um, So that's, that's not great. Like for an offensive guy, you, you 
really would have liked to have seen a little bit more from him at five on five. Um, you know, not a reason to panic. Again, I've said this, you know, for a while. Like, I've never expected Lysel to make this team out of camp. If he does, I th- I've always thought that's a huge bonus. Like, that means that he's ahead of where I think he is and, and ahead of where, you know, he probably should be at this point. Um, so, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not super worked up about it, but in terms of, like, if we're going to put that on the table of, you know, is he a guy who can can make this team out of camp and, you know, force his way into a top six or a top nine role? Uh, I I didn't really see anything Saturday that would have uh, swayed me into thinking that, like, he's on that path. I, I, I believe that whether or not Fabian Lysel is going to be a part of this team in the second half of the season, um, I, I, I think he should should start in Providence mainly because I don't think the Bruins need him to start the year. Like you already have, you already have the pieces in place to, to survive before Martian comes back. And considering the comments that Jim Montgomery made, or maybe it was, no, yeah. Yeah. Jim Montgomery made about how like Lysel would be a top six player. If anything, it's kind of like, well, who's he going to surpass out of training camp? Right. Like I, I don't see it. Um, like I don't, I don't think he's going to, I don't think Jake DeBrus is going to start in the third line because Lysel had such a great camp. I just don't see it. I think that he, uh, I think he certainly could benefit from being down in Providence for October, November, December, what, whatever it is. And just, you know, again, learn how to be a pro on North American ice against North American skaters and size and skill. And I, I think, you know, I, I think that'll benefit him. Um, so yeah, I mean he 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 didn't have a a phenomenal outing in Philly, but again, I'm not I'm not looking for him to make the team right away. So it's I I want him to develop more so in Providence for a few months, and I'm not closing the door on him being in Boston at some point this year. But I think to start, it makes the most sense. Um, what did you guys think of Jack Sanika's performance in Philly? I mean, he's he's somebody who, similar to Lysel, like you know he, he's he's not a natural, well. He could be a natural third liner. That might be his ceiling in the NHL, but certainly, you know, fourth line is not really the role I think that they want him to play. And I don't think his skill set is is suited for that. Um, what is his What does his future hold this year if he doesn't make the Bruins out of camp and doesn't doesn't show he deserves to be on the team out of camp this year? What What do you think they should or will do with him? Well, I mean, either he makes the team or he gets waived because he's out of waiver options. So. Uh... You know, and, and chances are he – I think he probably still has enough standing around the league that he would get claimed. So that's obviously not really what the Bruins want to do. Obviously, in the Bruins' perfect world, he just has a great camp preseason and makes the team. Um, but to your point, like where that is is where things get interesting because so far he hasn't played any wing in camp, and I don't think that's really where they want to put him. Uh, but you know, in the past, they haven't really viewed him as a fourth line center. Uh, now maybe that's different with Montgomery. Maybe Montgomery likes the idea of having, you know, a more offensive minded center in that role. And Stanika is a good two way player. Like it's not, you know, and he's learned how to play defense in the AHL and has a lot of professional games under his belt. So it's, you know, like he's been one of the top penalty killers in, in, Providence so it's not like that's a weakness for him it's just in it hasn't been viewed as like the ideal 
role for him, but maybe under a new coach that that's different. Um, I, as far as his game Saturday, I, I thought he was, I thought he was solid. I thought it was a little bit of like what we've seen from Stanique in the past, or like you would see some flashes. He scores a goal, but it gets waved off due to a quick whistle. Like I said, he had another really good look set up by Zaboral and, and missed the net, which, you know, on the one hand, it's like, okay, like he tried to pick a corner. He didn't shoot right at the goalie. But on the other, you know, he's kind of in alone. You want to, at the very least, like force the goalie to make a good save there. Um, so, uh, you know, I think he, he did some good things. I didn't think he like, he didn't blow me away or anything to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, like he's, he's definitely ready. You know, we still going to have to see a little more over the course of, of training camp and the rest of the preseason. Um, but I thought he looked pretty good overall. Yeah, I echo what Scott said. I think he was doing he was doing those things right. Like the goal that they had technically like called it back, but it was just a premature whistle that Sandstrom didn't have a cover. They just blew the whistle. He scored on their rebound and he was, you know, crashing the net. He was doing what he was supposed to do. He was on the weak side looking for the rebound. And that's where that's where you want to see him playing when he uh, you know, if he gets called up. So yeah, he did a few things that were good. I, I think I kind of just watch his game and just see him get unlucky over and over again. And I almost feel bad because it's like, okay, that, like, that could have been his goal. That could have been his preseason goal. It's like, okay, no, he's unlucky again. Um, you know, I did think he had, he had a decent game. I don't think anybody, Scott, really like blew anyone away, but well, um, solid. Well, we'll get to, I think one defenseman might have. But well, Zaboral, we'll I wouldn't, yeah. so I wouldn't say blew and he blew anyone away but he was you know he's going into this this preseason game as you know the one defenseman that probably is going to make the team um where you know Ashan could as well but he's somebody that obviously is a world coming off the injury um wanted to you know get a look at how he can how he's been skating and and no he did he did he was impressive I still just wouldn't put him in that cat category of blown away probably because we expect a little bit more from him. Um, even though he's been, you know, working with that injury. Well, I thought, it, I thought the most impressive thing with Zabora was just how, how crisp he was and how decisive he was and, and uh, how he looked like his skating hadn't dropped off at all, despite not playing a game in nine months. And I think that as the game wore on, I think, you know, Typical preseason sloppy hockey. I think they got hemmed in. He had some long shifts and got a little sloppy towards the end. But I thought he was. I thought he was dynamite. I, I actually thought that uh, you know you you put Zaboro's performance in that game, but you surround him with his his normal NHL t- teammates. I think that man. I think I think he, like, you know, as a left shot. Granted, not a right. I know I know McAvoy's a right shot, but man, he could he can really help help their transition game without. Grizzly and McAvoy early on and um you know obviously there could be they gave a a PTO to you know Anton Strawman we'll get to him in a, in a minute uh and how they're using him in training camp with Lindholm and whatnot but I don't know I just felt like you know Zabor I thought you know I'll get you guys' thoughts on Connor Carrot too he had a great hit and you know he 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 he's he's what he is he he's what he is right like you know what you're getting out of him he's like a it was a seventh, eighth guy, whatever. Um, but he also I, had a fight after that hit. Yeah. 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 Which, uh, 
Yeah, he did. So, you know, that's good to see. But I thought Saboro looked really well considering the time off and, and, and the injury he suffered. Uh, it, it was no easy task at all. Scott? Yeah, the the reason it was so impressive, one, he just played really well, period. But for it being his first game back after, off a torn ACL, just to be as aggressive and look as confident as he did, like, I know uh, Billy Jaffe talked about this during the intermission on Nesson about how, like, when you're returning from an injury like that, it's as much mental as physical at times. And, you know, really, like, what it what he means is, like, just have the confidence to make a play or to be aggressive on the rush and, you know, drive between a couple bodies, uh, go into the corner, like put yourself in situations where you're going to get hit or, you know, that knee might be a little bit exposed or whatever, you know, stops and starts and all that. Um, just to get to a point where like you trust your knee to do that at NHL game speed. Um, you know, now look, the, the timeline for the Zaboral in terms of being ready for the season, what it helped. Like he was able to actually get on the ice a little bit at the very end of last season. So he, you know, I think had like a fairly normal summer where he, you know, was really building back and like skating a lot, but still to then to do it in game, like that's a little different. That's, that is a, an important test. And, uh, and he definitely passed this one his his first game back from that injury. I mean, he, led the team nice time. He played 25 minutes. Like that's, you know, that's, that's no joke. Just from, just from condition, conditioning standpoint, from uh, the plays he was making, how confident he looked out there. Um, for a guy who's almost certainly in your top six to start the season, and but who has a chance to prove he belongs beyond that, you know, he's one of these guys that uh, is going to be fighting to stay in the lineup once Grizzly and McAvoy return. Um, definitely a good start. It was a good start for him. It's very encouraging. And uh, it just makes the Bruins blue line that much deeper. Again, you forgot about him, right? Like last year, you go, you get Lindholm on the left side and you start looking at your depth chart and you just forget that Lauko, uh, uh, Zaboral is there just because he's been, he's been so injury prone since, since being in the organization and He's it's always come at like the worst times. Like he shows he has shown he's a, he could be a really good NHL, well, good at least NHL defenseman. And uh, man, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. So hopefully hey, there, there's there been different times where he's won that job. And then, um, you know, then you see him take this injury and, and, and you know, obviously now he has to fight for it once again. And he, he might have to fight for it preseason and then fight for it again when, you know, Grizzly and McAvoy come back and he, he's kind of stuck in this perpetually fighting for that spot over and over again, because the injuries that he's suffered. But remember back when like uh, Jeremy Lozon and like Connor Clifton and him, and they, they were all kind of fighting for that spot. Back and nine in, uh, back and nine in, you know, a, a season, not a season ago, maybe two seasons ago now. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it was very encouraging to see how he responded. He had the the right ACL tear, I think it was December 2nd. So he hasn't played since very early in December. Um, and I went back and checked, you know, what were the pairs like for the Bruins in um, November 2021, which is when Saboral had cracked the lineup and was playing a lot. Um, and back then it, they had that riley Zaboral pairing. Um, which they could go to again this year, but that's once again, you, we're talking about Saboral who's going to have to probably play his offside 
um, on the right side as a left shot. And uh, yeah, I don't know if they throw Riley Zaboral back out there because that's Zaboral's most recent combination or, um, you know, what they do in terms of finding his spot with trying to just rotate uh, and find the right pairings with Mac Williams look out. Well, let's, let's segue with that said, Bridget, let's segue to what the deep pairs were in, in training camp today, because I, you know, I kind of feel like it's worth reading into these. Um, so I'll, 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 I'll list them in order of what it would probably be on a, on a, on a given night. So the top pair would, would be the pairing of Lynn Holman, Anton Strawman on the right side. Again, he's on a PTO, so he's not on a team, but based off of these pairs, right? This is what they're looking at. They're looking at these pairs for a reason, right? So Lindholm, Strawman. Uh, second pair would be, it would be Zaborl on the left and Brandon Carlo on the right. And then based off the pairings, because they're both NHL defensemen, it would, the third pair would be Mike Riley, on the, Mike Riley on the left and Connor Clifton on the right. And then of the Bruins regular defensemen, because Anton Strawman is in the mix right now on a PTO, of the Bruins regular defensemen, Derek Forbert was the one who was paired with a non-NHL player, right? So I, he was Forbert was paired with some last name Wisman. I don't know who that is. Kai uh, Wisman, yeah. Get they signed him out of Germany. So yeah. kind of one of these uh you know European scouts identified that there might be something there, bring him over to the HL, see how he does. Okay. So with those pairs I just listed off, guys, because I personally, you can never have too much depth on defense, as we have discussed in the past. And I've always liked Anton Strawman. I don't think he's he's a, he's not going to be a Norris, Norris finalist, but like he's always been a steady, solid NHL defenseman who's logged decent minutes. I'm pretty sure last year in Arizona, he was a 20 minute a, a night guy. So yeah. like, I don't know. I I I don't think they bring him in on a PTO. I don't think he decides to come here on a PTO mutually. And then he's going to play himself out of a contract. Like I think he's probably going to win, win uh, some sort of, you know, you know, uh, contract this year for the, with the Bruins. I'm not sure how, what it would be, but something would have to go really wrong. I feel like for him to not earn us at least be in like a a rotation of like their seven, eight defensemen. And if that's the case, then you would probably have a combination of like, you know, Forber or Clifton or Riley or something like that being the odd man out every night, or maybe even Strawman. It just, just depends. So I'm just going to ask you guys what you think of these pairings that, that they, that they're tr- getting a look at today in camp. Yeah. I, I think you're right. That like they are worth reading into a little especially on a day when we know that Montgomery rolled with the forward lines that he expects to use opening night. You got to assume that these D combos are ones that he's, also thinking about in terms of like this could be something he uses for the regular season um yeah i mean anton strawman is it's it's really interesting because he you know in his in his prime he was really good one of the most underrated defensemen in the nhl he was partnered with victor hedman in tampa um not in his prime anymore he's 36 he did play a lot of minutes last year for arizona but we know Arizona was a bad team. You know, I don't think he would play that many minutes on, on a better team. And I don't think he, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watched every Arizona game, (laughs) but statistically and like analytically, he didn't have a very good season. Again, part of that can be circumstance, just being on a bad team. Um, But you, you bring him in at the very least. It's, it's more depth, more competition. 
it's another right shot, which, you know, until McAvoy comes back, you only had Carlo and Clifton and I, you know, maybe Connor Carrick, um, who, you know, we touched on had, had a good hit fight, you know, made a physical impact is obviously trying to prove he has, you know, he has something he can bring to the team. Um, but has never kind of Harris really been never, never been anything more than a third pairing guy slash like seventh DHL journey, man. Like he's a very fringe roster player. So you bring in Strawman and see if he has, see if he has something left and see if he can make this team. And you know, the fact that, uh, the, the early returns seem to be positive. Uh, you know, Jim Montgomery said today, like he's clearly in, in really good shape. He, you know, it's not like he was like just kind of sitting around chilling and then he gets a call and it's, I guess I better start getting in shape. Like, it seems like, you know, came into camp ready to go, even though he came in a couple of days late. Um, but yeah, he, he absolutely has a chance to, to make this team and to be in the top six on an opening night and, and maybe, playing next to Lindholm that would bump Zaboral back over to the left. And now, you know, now you have seven NHL defensemen. There's probably not a spot for a Sean in that case. And unless he bumps someone out, but um, definitely makes them a, them a deeper group and, and creates more competition for all these spots. Yeah, and you, you know, you bring in Strawman and say he does, you know, after the tryout, make the team He's now a voice in the room where they, ever since Chara left, haven't really had that true veteran, uh, you know, in the locker room. I guess Forbord is the oldest of of the group that was there last year, but um, Strawman is actually like a veteran voice that can be there uh, and and talk to the guys. And that's another thing that Montgomery mentioned about um, what he liked about Strawman was, you know, his mind, the way the way he's able to talk about the game and. So, yeah, I know. I think Lindholm Strawman, that could be an interesting pairing. Um, and it does keep Savoral on his natural side, which would be the left side. But him and Carlo, I I don't really know if I how I feel about that as as a pairing as a whole. Um, I like Riley Carlo as a pairing, um, probably better than Savoral Carlo. Uh but that's that's another thing that like we haven't seen these two guys play together in a long time. They could easily have, um, you know, throughout training camp, create more chemistry and be and end up being a good pair. But um, I'm more used to seeing that Riley Carlo um, pairing that they they weren't bad together when they were um, matched together. So um, yeah, I guess just trying to find the right spot then for Saboral. And it's kind of interesting that forward is the odd man out because under Cassidy, it seemed like it was really Riley. That was the odd man out um, under his, the way that he saw the lineup. So that, yeah, it's all, it's also interesting to figure out because there's a lot of guys that we're talking about here that are NHL guys. And especially when McAvoy and Grizzly come back, now you're talking about not just one of these guys is the odd man out. You're, you're not going to, two of these guys, two, two of these other guys out too. So um, they, they've definitely got the depth right now, probably where they want it. Um, just, there's just a lot of time to tell and, and, you know, a lot of players that are actually going to end up fighting for the, this job when another month into the season, late November comes around um, who sticks and who doesn't stick, but to start, yeah, I guess I'd want to see more from 
Zaboro Carlo in the preseason before I really know how that pair, how I feel about that pair. Well, it only takes, you know, one, one shot block in one game for somebody to go down for three to four weeks. Like there's always, again, like, especially at defense, like there's, as we, I mean, hell, you're starting the year without McAvoy and Grizz. Like, like you can never have, you can never have too much depth of NHL caliber defensemen. And I think maybe with Zaboro and Carl, Carl, they're just trying to give it a, give it a look just, you know, for the reasons that you mentioned, I think that Zaboro has a bit of a physicality to his game that maybe they would prefer in a top four role, maybe over Riley. I don't know yet. Um, you know, we'll see what happens there, but as far as Strawman and Lindholm go, uh, I, I wonder if maybe they have some experience in international play together, playing, playing for Sweden. Cause that actually, could- um, Strawman talked about this. They, Strawman was interviewed about this and he said very minimal. Um, he's played with Lindholm. He has played with them before internationally, but it was like very small amount. And he actually said he hadn't crossed paths with anyone else on the team. So he, this is kind of like a new, a whole new group for him. Like he doesn't have that much history with anyone in particular on this team. Well, as as Scott as Scott mentioned earlier, when Strong was in Tampa, he did play with Victor Hedman as a deep pair. So obviously, at the bare minimum, he's accustomed to playing with with uh, a Swedish counterpart in, in the NHL. And when it when when it comes to retrieving pucks and communicating with your D partner, which is nice, at least have that experience. And I again, the Swedes play us. They all you know some have certain different skill sets. Right, like Eric Carlson was a magician with the puck and. Um, Victor Hedman is an all-around tremendous player, but you know a, a lot. Sweden Sweden really prides themselves on on being a defensive defensively sound nation when they play hockey and especially on the back end. And you know, so Strawman and, and Lindholm they come from the same principles. Is my point, and I think that I think it's just one of the reasons why it's it's worth giving it a look in in camp and seeing if these two can kind of play well off each other. I mean, I think Strawman Scott said that he didn't have a great analytical season last year in Arizona, and uh, that's true and for what reasons, probably the fact that they aren't very good, but um, historically I remember Anton Strauman being a very efficient shot blocker. And uh, I just think that the Bruins are going to hope that maybe he can just be a reliable professional defenseman back there and help, help bridge the gap until McAvoy gets back. And uh, I just think it's a, again, it's a, it's a, it's a no risk, decent reward type of move for the Bruins. And we'll see if it pans off in training camp. Um, I know there was a, a nice quote from Nick Foligno, Today, I don't know if you guys want to transition out of the defense into into well, that quote. One one last thing on the defense. So as far as forward being, you know, the quote unquote ah man now because he was paired with we think a non NHLer unless you know Kai Wisman sets the world on fire. But um, it's interesting because last week I think it was Friday, Jim Montgomery was asked like, you know, have any players really stood out to you? And he mentioned Pasternak. He said, you know, like basically he looks even better in person. And they said Derek Forbort. Like, that was the second name out of his mouth when he was asked, like, who's really stood out through, to you through the first two days. So, um, now, I will say one thing that, I'm, that I think we're all learning about Jim Montgomery early on here is uh, he's going to be very positive about anyone you ask him about. Like, so far, you know, we, we've asked him about – and this isn't – like, I'm not being cra- – I don't expect him to rip anyone during training camp, but – like anyone you ask him about, you know, how, how do they look for you? You know, what are you seeing from them? It's just, it's, you would think like, based on his answer, you'd be like, Oh, well that guy's making the team. <laughs> it's, you know, he'll be like, yeah, he looks great. He's bringing a lot out there. Really like the effort. His shot looks good. 
it's playing with intensity like and it's just like okay at a, well at a certain point like when if you're gonna ask about like every player on the roster and get that answer it's like uh, all right well maybe that doesn't and that doesn't really tell us a whole whole lot um but what we do know is that he wants defensemen uh, to be more active and get more involved on offense. So, you know, Bridge, I think it was you mentioned that like forward had basically been a lock to play under Cassidy. And I think part of that is because Cassidy always wanted that third pairing to be kind of a more defensive state, not necessarily stay at home, but take care of business in their own zone. And they got a lot of D zone shifts and we might see a different strategy under Montgomery where he, maybe there's more balance in terms of who's, getting ozone shifts who's getting d zone shifts and maybe he doesn't want you know just kind of a stay at home defensive pairing maybe he wants all three pairings to be involved and be able to get involved in the rush and activating the offensive zone and that's a scenario where you could potentially see forward being an odd man out because that's not his strength we you know we saw last season what his strength is it's taking taking care of business at home it's blocking shots it's penalty killing but, you know, if a new coach values other stuff more and, you know, thinks you can piece together those aspects without necessarily dedicating uh, one pairing or even just one spot in your defense to that kind of player, then, you know, Forber might have to prove that he, he can get more involved in offense. And, you know, I know he had like that mini scoring outburst er- early, early last season. <laughs> But in general, that has not been a strength of his throughout his career. Now that one game where he had two goals, oh, it was two goals. Yeah, yep. he had he had two goals against uh, against Philadelphia scoreboard. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun game. Scott Scott uh, loved covering that one. I forget what article you wrote about that, Scott, but I know you covered it. <laughs> I think I I think I called it like the most bizarre development of the season to that point, or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah I don't... Go ahead, Brian. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, I, I, I've never really loved the idea of, uh, you know, giving a guy a roster, uh, you know, a, a spot in your lineup simply for penalty killing. Um, I know it's such a big special team. It's such a big part of the game, but um, it was, it was very, very apparent what, what Derek Forbert was, was on the team for last year um, and presumably what he's on the team for again this year. And, you know, I, I just think that you can you can coach you can coach uh, defensive structure on the PK. What you can't teach is size, but and he he does have good size, and and I I don't think he's anemic in, you know, with the puck on his stick. Like he can make he can make the right the right reads and the right passes, but um, it, it's definitely not something you can just rely on being the the penalty kill specialist. Is there's going to be some some competition there? Yeah. Well, may I just say that his best year uh, statistically in terms of goals was this previous season with the Bruins four goals is the most he's ever scored in, in his career in a season. So, um, you know, are we going to expect him to score more than four goals next year? No, I wouldn't. I, you'd, you'd be crazy to think like, Oh, all of a sudden he's going to be like more of this um, goal scorer type of guy that if this, if that's not the system Montgomery wants to run, then Forbert really doesn't quite fit in. Scott to, to what you said earlier about how, how, uh, Jim Montgomery is, he, he loves to pump the tires of everybody around him. It's, it's one of, it's one of the things I mentioned, like, I don't know, like a month or so ago on one of, one of our podcasts, like they brought him in because I don't doubt that they don't think he's the best guy for the job. Right. 
from an X's and O's standpoint, from a breath of fresh air standpoint, like the Bruins didn't just hire Jim Montgomery because he, he he's good old jolly Jim, but I think it's part of it. I think that they definitely wanted a, a different type of voice behind the bench. And that's and a lot of that's they wanted a guy who's going to, you know, rub, rub the, the shoulders of the players and, and not get them too down. And I just wonder how, how sustainable that is over the course of 82 games. Like a head coach can't always be the good cop. Like you're going to have, you're going to have to discipline at times. And, and, and maybe it's just strictly behind closed doors on like, you know, and, and Bruce did sometimes go to the media, but his thing was he always, he never said anything to the media. He didn't say to the player before, but maybe Jim just doesn't do that at all. Maybe he just yeah. does it behind closed doors. So I, 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 I think it's worth following. Like when, when shit hits the fan at points this year, when, when, when certain players aren't giving it their all or they're struggling and it's, you know, can, can Montgomery be that bad cop at times and, and, or will it just be behind the scenes? But either way, that's, that's something I want to see. Cause I think you need to be, you can't always be their best friend as a head coach. Yeah. I think the, the point about like, I was talking to a couple of the other writers about this today, like Cassidy. Yes. I, I fully believe that he would always, he would say something about, you know, to the player privately before he'd go public with it. But that doesn't mean that the players were okay with him going public with it afterwards. Like, I think, I think there's a lot of times where players wish it just stayed behind closed doors. And, you know, like, it was like, okay, it's, it's fine that like you came to me with that or maybe even yelled at me like, during practice or whatever about it but like i don't need you then going to the media and you know saying the same thing so i do think that's probably part of it it you know kind of stinks for those of us who are going to be there like we loved getting those quotes from cassidy just from from a content standpoint you know people uh people eat that stuff up and i don't think we're going to get a lot of that from montgomery again to your point like we'll see they're going to hit you know a tough stretch at some point and we'll see if it's still all you know, positive all the time. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I think when he's, if he has to criticize players, I think he's going to keep it behind closed doors. And, uh, you know, I think Nick Foligno even kind of, we can get into like his interview now if we want, but, um, you know, his meeting with the media today, he even kind of shed some light on this and said like, you know, he likes Montgomery so far and likes the way he's running things. And he said like, you know, you can kind of joke around with them, but then you get into a meeting or you get on the ice for practice and it's very businesslike. It, it's, you know, he'll be very serious. And if something, you know, if things get like too loose or he gets a sense that, uh, you know, the team's not really executing or whatever, he'll stop to get everyone around and like lay it out. And, and I actually saw this in practice a couple of times today where they were, they were doing a drill and, uh, at some point, like someone clearly like messed up. I think you were like supposed to transition from like three on two attacking to defending and like somehow got out of whack. And it's like, as soon as it looked like, you know, someone didn't really know what they're doing, blew the whistle, like stop, go over it again and like, get it right. So, you know, I think that there is like that. I don't know if we'll ever see like fiery, angry side, but I do think like just from what we're hearing that there is definitely like a more professional, serious side that, you know, it's not always happy go lucky out there. Yeah. And there's ways he can do it. Like he can, if he does want to publicly address, he can always address the team as we, right. We sucked. We need to be better. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't compete. You, you, you can, 
I think you can call it the team as a team. And I think the team will respond and understand that, well, maybe we deserved it, but I think when you start to call it the individuals, uh, that's where, that's where things can get tricky. And um, another, an example of that is Brandon Carlo, right? I think Fluto had a piece in the athletic about Brandon Carlo was actually pretty, pretty transparent about he battled confidence and, 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 and not wanting to make mistakes. And, you know, I think it's one thing to maybe see the, those quotes from somebody like Jake DeBrusque, who like you kind of knew was, was, was not on Cassidy's good side all the time, but Brandon Carlo wears a letter on his Jersey, right? So when you have a, when you have somebody with leadership qualities on your team, um, kind of talking about how it was, it was tough time at times last year. Now I'm not, you know me, I'm not one to, to make excuses for the players. I think the player is going to play and, and, uh, but it's, it, it was a very real thing. It was a very real thing, I guess, uh, being afraid to make mistakes. Now, you can say what you want about that. It's Cassidy and his methods coached them to a, you know, 667 or a 600, whatever the hell it was winning percentage over six years or so it worked. It just, I guess was time for a change. Um, Bridget, do you happen to have, um, do you happen to have uh, what Nick Felino said, the quotes around, around you? Let me pull it up. Um, because it was, <laughs> I like Nick Foligno as a person I, and, and historically as a player, there's no doubt about it that he has been very ineffective, very injury prone in the last couple of seasons. And um, I, I found his quote today pretty funny um, because there's a difference between could and can. Um, and I guess, uh, I guess we'll get into that, but it's just one of the, it's one, it, it's, it's one of the, the recent examples of there's a couple guys with, with some, you know, fire hair across their ass this year going to the season Nick Felino wants to prove a lot of people wrong um pretty much everybody in Boston because he played so poorly poorly last year even his biggest supporters and fans like what do you want us to do just like lie and say you were great like we're not trying to be assholes it's just you weren't very good at all and um yeah so actually I think I have it too Bridget if you don't have it in front of you yeah I'm having trouble for some reason all right so yeah yeah go ahead Scott no I was just gonna say like before it's you know Felino's been open about how he really never felt like himself last year and and we know why right like he had the he had the back surgery in Toronto the year before and you know definitely never looked good up there but then I think never it took him a while to really get up to speed that offseason so he didn't have a normal offseason going into the year then he gets injured again early on and like misses a few games and you know, and he basically said, like, he said, like, you know, I never really quite felt right. And Don Sweeney has also touched on that. Jim Montgomery talked about that today. So it's like everyone has kind of set this groundwork of, like, okay, it's, you know, we're not going to call it an excuse, but, like, here's why last season didn't go as planned. And it's like, all right, so, but now Felino has made it clear and, and said it again today that, he feels great right now. And he had, he had a great off season and he just feels like he's in a much better place overall. And he's confident that he's going to rebound and, and, you know, show what he can do. And it's like, all right, great. Like it, obviously if that happens, awesome. And and if it does, then it'll be very clear that yes, last season's struggles were because he just never really got off on the right foot, but you do actually have to show it. You, you got to go out there and and show that, you know, you're, not back to the play you were in your prime or anything like that, but that you are in a much better place than last year and that you can play much better and be much more effective. 
So, so what he said was, I know I can score goals. I'm not worried about that. My track record speaks for itself. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to play my game and be a factor for this club. So I know I can score goals. I'm not worried about that. That's coming from a guy who had two goals last year. And I don't think one of them went off his stick. I think they both went off of his body. So it's like, look, I'm glad you feel that way. We all know you can score. We all know you could score goals. That's what I said earlier. There's difference between can and could. We know you could score goals. It allowed you to be a captain in this league and a, and a pretty decent player. Nobody's questioning the Nick Foligno of Ottawa or Columbus. But we can only judge you here in Boston based off of what we've seen of you here in Boston. And I was a player whose stick never put the puck past the goal line last year. His ass did and his shin pad did twice. So I hope to God that his quote is accurate. I think for him, it's a very, it's very, very important for him to get off to a good start this year. I think Nick Felino would benefit immensely from a good solid hockey goal in the first, you know, five games of the year. You know, I think the longer he goes without scoring a, a, a true goal himself, the burden of that he's been carrying here in Boston is only going to, gonna gonna get larger and larger so i think if he can have a this might sound a little dramatic but if he wants to have a bounce back season it might start and end with if he can have a bounce back first month of the season um because i think if he gets a couple goals early on starts to feel good about himself confidence is it's a crazy thing it makes you it makes you play a lot better it's just the way that it is you feel good about your game you start things start going your way and if he can if Nick Foligno can go from last year being pretty much a non-factor offensively, if he can give you like, you know, seven to 10, 12 garbage goals this year, like, and you know, another maybe 15 assists, 20 assists. Like if he can get you 35 points this year, 30 points, like, you know, that's something. And to go along with his character and being a good pro, I think that's, that's, that's all anybody wants of him um, could ask of him. So for me, I think it starts in the first few weeks with him and in the first month, if we want to go a little bit larger and uh, I I'm rooting for the guy. I just want him to, first of all, first and foremost, I want him to make the team. If he is one of the better players out of camp, if he is great, get a chance to prove us wrong. Um, so we'll see. Bridget, what did you think of, of, of his quote? So uh, just, it's just kind of funny because um, yeah, obviously he has been a goal scorer in this league. He does know how to score, but he's, once again, he's going to come into the season and it's not like, oh, is he going to be a third liner or a fourth liner? It's most likely he's going to be a fourth liner or not on the team. So it's just kind of interesting, like to try to picture what those kind of chances would look like for him. And especially if you want to take out those uh, goals that you're talking about that go in off the body, you know, like actual shots on net kind of opportunities for him, what those would look like um, in the role that it looks like he's going to have this season, because to tie it back into training camp today, Scott, um, we talked about how the first three lines were kind of the lines we expect to see going into the season. But then there was this few different groups that were the potential fourth lines. Um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting for him because I think that that fourth line is going to rotate a lot to start the season. So as much as you feel like you're you know in a good position, in good shape, you know know how to score goals, you're gonna there's probably going to be a lot of fluctuation on that line and it's, it's not like the best, he's not going to be in the best position to really 
improve on his goal scoring when the, when the season starts, when they're trying to figure out how that fourth line shakes out. Well, but, but he will be expected to like, so Jim Montgomery was asked, you know, do you put any sort of number on it? And, you know, he said, not really, but then he elaborated a little and said like, you know, generally I look at like get to double digit goals as a good place for like a bottom six forward in the NHL as just kind of a base. So it's like, well, that's five times more goals than Nick Felina scored last year. So, um, but like that, it does give you a baseline and it kind of lets you into the process a little bit and that, you know, at least in Montgomery's mind, he's going to be looking at those bottom of the roster spots and among other things, asking himself like who here is capable of getting to double digit goals. And we know Felina when he's on his game is based on his history, but obviously he wasn't anywhere close to that last year. Yeah. And he, he didn't play much. I mean, when he, when he first came to the Bruins, he did get a little bit of time on the power play, but then as the season went on, he didn't find himself out on the power play. So those are where, you know, you, you have a better chance of bringing those numbers up, but he just not out there for that. Yeah. And, and Monday's so Saturday's preseason game, he skated with Beecher and DeBrus, which uh, they had been in practice the first two days of camp when, you know, Montgomery just threw everyone in a blender, basically. And I asked him uh, on Monday, well, I asked him about DeBrus because DeBrus was the only guy who's projected to be in like a top six or top six forward role or a top four defense role who played in that game. And he basically said, like, the reason was just that those three had played together um, the first two days of camp and it looked good together and he wanted to just send them down to Philly to play a game together um, and give Beecher, you know, two NHL players to play with. Um, There are also, in case people don't know, like there are also every team has to, in a preseason game, you have to have at least eight players on NHL contracts that like that's an NHL rule so that preseason games aren't so watered down that like no one's playing basically. Um, But yeah, so so DeBrusco was interesting, and you know Felino played there, and then Monday's practice though I mentioned how there were basically like four lines that had you know at least like one fourth line candidate on them, and he was playing with uh Kapanen and Vinny Latieri, which those two seem like you know probably not all that close to the NHL roster spots. Um, although I do wonder if Vinny Latieri has like some sort of we haven't touched on him, but I thought he looked. He looked fairly active Saturday and he's had some good, some good practices in camp so far and has played a lot of NHL games. Like he, he played like 30 something games for Anaheim last year. And I think had seven or eight goals. So like he's, you know, he has produced a little bit at the NHL level. So he probably shouldn't be totally uh, ruled out from this competition with all these guys, you know, so many names, obviously there's only, there's only so many roster spots, but like Letary's another one that like we've barely talked about. I think I don't think anyone has really talked about, and yet he's there, and he certainly hasn't played himself out of a job. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think he he showed some showed some good wheels in Philly. I think that I think he's a good player to have down in Providence and 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 on a on a call up basis, and I also. Like you said, I think he has the capability to be a 
you know, a decent little fourth liner, but I don't know. I don't know if he's necessarily um, the stature that might they're looking for in a fourth line role uh, identity wise, but um, I guess that remains to be seen. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, well, I, I don't know. It was, it was kind of tough to read into. I mean, it was pretty apparent that the Bruins top three lines were together today, obviously with, you know, without Marshan, what their top three lines are going to be. Those were intact over the, over the course of their two groups they had in camp. The fourth, the four fourth line combinations is it's kind of tough to get a read on if what the methodology was behind those, those groupings. Um, I, it's almost like you could take, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of tough to read. Um, so I guess we'll just have to see how, how camp plays out and as they condense and see, because yeah, I kind of, because on the one hand, it's like, I want to look at McLaughlin's line and be like, well, I think McLaughlin kind of is on the inside track based off of how he, you know, came on, came onto the site last year. Um, you know, it's like, then you look at Nosek's line and it's like, well, Nosek, he's kind of playing himself out of a job, but he is also an NHL contract. So, and then Felino on the other hand, on a different line. And then you just look at Beecher. It's like, well, Beecher is supposed to be this. I, it was really tough to read. I, I think we need more time to see how that plays out. Um, but there's some spots up for grabs and it's, it's going to be interesting. Were there any other takeaways thus far, guys, from from camp, preseason storylines you wanted to touch on before we, before we go? Uh, go? No, I think I think I'm good. I think we covered covered pretty much everything I wanted to get to. Yeah, it looks like we pretty much got to everything. We didn't talk a whole lot about a Sean, but like as as we've kind of gone over a, a little bit, it's less likely that he makes the opening day um lineup. The two notes I had about his game was he he had some entries that I thought were really bad entries um and he got like turned around on an entry to the power play and then there were other entries he made where he skated the puck in on his own and and you know started um that was also on the power play and you know started out uh zone possession with the puck and he's kind of still a work in progress I would say but um he was somebody else that I was paying attention to. I'm not, I, I'm not sure we'll see him again in preseason on Tuesday. Um, I hope we do. I do think there's still more that um, he, he could prove, but uh, that's just kind of the only other player I really had taken notes on that. We kind of didn't touch on all that much. Um, yeah. We touched on Carrick who I also had made a note of just how he played physical um, alongside Zaboral and he had that fight. So yeah, those were those are really just the last notes I had. Yeah, and worth noting as far as Tuesday's preseason game goes, uh, Montgomery was asked like what he's thinking for a lineup for that, and he said there there might be a couple more veterans, but he said probably only like one or two more. Now he didn't specify if that means, you know, a completely different group of veterans or if that's like on top of the guys who also played Saturday, but. I imagine you'll see some different veterans. I think you'll see some rotation of the younger guys, like the, you know, I would assume younger guys who didn't play Saturday will almost certainly be in. Like we've talked about Mark McLaughlin a few times here. I, I would be surprised if he's not in the lineup Saturday, um, you know, and, and then probably a few other guys, a little bit of rotation, but it's, it certainly doesn't sound like it's going to be, you know, I think last year, it was almost like a perfect split where like all the road games, it was a lot of younger guys and the home games was, I believe all three home games or at least the last two was like pretty much the NHL team. 
Uh, don't think we're there yet. I think Tuesday's still going to be a lot of young guys, and then uh, they'll they'll. I think Saturday is when you'll see, you yeah. know, cl- closer to an NHL roster. So if you have if you have tickets, those are both home games Tuesday and Saturday. If you have tickets, uh, Saturday is going to be the better chance to actually you know see NHL guys. Yeah, and I, I wonder that I wonder if they put Zaboral in maybe on Tuesday or Saturday on the other side. So like he started out preseason game one um, on the left side. Maybe they just give him a few reps on the right side too. Um, just see how he how he at, is um, playing that offside, just in case that's where he ends up having to slot in. I uh, if I were a betting man, I think that. As Scott, you touched on tomorrow night against the Rangers will be a relatively young lineup based off what I saw on Twitter. I think somebody made a comment that to expect a more veteran heavy lineup on Saturday at home against the Flyers. Then they're on the road against the Devils, probably a young lineup on the road against the Rangers, probably a young lineup. And I bet you that you get close to a full Bruins lineup again for their final game at home against the Devils four days before opening night. Cause I know Bergeron was asked about what the perfect maybe may have been you Scott I don't I forget somebody asked Bergeron about what the ideal number of preseason games is he said two so I would imagine that the Bruins get their guys in on Saturday versus the Flyers and then probably the following Saturday against the Devils uh if if they get more of the NHL lineup so yeah yeah, if you have tickets I'd probably circle those two games I because I don't see them sending the guys on the road like you said a couple but no Bergeron's not Bergeron's not going to MSG to play the Rangers on a on October 5th (laughs) for a preseason game. So well, I don't know. Maybe he wants to like catch a Broadway show while he's there, true. you know? Yeah, that's true. Harry Styles isn't there anymore. So make, he can't, he missed that. Make, make it a nice little fall trip. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So yeah. So we got, so we, we will, we'll, uh, boy, just like, so we'll, they got a game tomorrow. Maybe we touch base again, uh, later in the week after a couple of preseason games or, um, but in the meantime, uh, thank you for listening. You guys, I'm all set. You guys are all set. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll also tease that um, Ooh, one thing go. I'm going to try to do more of this year is hopefully get like some some one-on-one interviews and post them as just short podcasts, whether we work them into episodes or just post them separately. But I'm I'm hoping to have the first one this week. I can't quite guarantee it yet, but um yeah, so hopefully that's that's coming, and I think I think hopefully people like that, and you know, little, little bit more, you know, behind the scenes, get into the locker room with. We have open rooms and more media availability again, so you know, just uh, trying to find ways to take advantage. Yeah, and Scott doesn't offer up any fluff pieces. Yeah, he, he asks the good, hard hitting questions that you want you want answered. So, um, he'll 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 be bringing the heat with those for sure. If I know Scott. I, uh, actually, I'm exclusively asking non-hockey questions. First question to everyone. First question to everyone. Do you or do you not like popcorn? Yeah, that's very important. And that determines whether or not he can finish the interview. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's not talking to anyone that doesn't like popcorn. So. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, all right. Well, if you guys are all set, I think we'll wrap it up there. And uh, thank you for listening. And we will talk soon. Mm-hmm.